Well, good morning, church. It's great to be with you this morning. You know, I just want you to know that there's warning signs everywhere in our world. Are you aware of this? Like when you go through the McDonald's drive-thru on your way to church and you order a, a coffee, it's going to have a warning label on the outside of it, like extremely hot, caution, 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 hot, 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 just to, just to make sure that we understand that the hot coffee that we needed on a cold day was hot. And if that's not enough, like when you go through the drive-thru and your children order the Happy Meal, uh, they're going to take the toy out of the bag and, and in prominent letters on the outside, it's going to say, warning, and probably something about a choking hazard. There's warnings everywhere, isn't there? If you try and drive from this end of town to the other end of town, there's uh, in the middle of it all, there's a railroad track. Are you aware of this? Now, if you go up to the railroad track and, and you hear sounds and bells and there are lights going off, this is a warning. It is a warning to you. There is a train coming. There are all sorts of warnings that are available to us in our life. Uh, in fact, if, if you happen to be going into a meeting with someone and a colleague of yours pulls you to the side and whispers in your ear, hey, I just want you to know this person is an EGR, extra grace required, then you know what they've just handed you is a good warning about the kind of person that you're just about to encounter. And I want to I provide for all of you a warning. I want to give you a warning that I think Scripture gives to us, uh, gives to us in regards to our relationships, and we're going to apply uh, that warning this morning and over the next several weeks to, to one of the most treasured relationships in our lives, and that is the relationship of our marriages. See, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 talks about, hey, we need to encourage one another while it's still today uh, so that we don't harden or fall into sin's deceitfulness. And so that's what we're trying to do in this kind of crazy named series, How to Kill Your Marriage. It's a warning. Now, I know some of you are not married. Some of you don't want to be married. Now, there's some of you that want to be married or will be someday. And so I just want to give you some warning signs this morning. I want you to be aware of some of the things. I want you to be aware this morning about the hitman that wants to kill your relationships, that wants to kill your marriage, that wants to destroy you. I want you to be aware of the hitman because when you are aware and you know that you are aware, you will have half the battle won. When you're aware, you've already won half the battle. So I want you to know this morning that the hitman is real. I want you to know that there is someone out there that doesn't care about you. I want you to know 
That there is someone who is crafty and deceitful and wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your relationships, wants to destroy what is precious to you. And I want you to hear about him from the Bible. So, join me, would you please, in Genesis. Join me in Genesis chapter 3. Join me in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is at the very, very beginning of your Bible. You can turn to the third chapter. I'm going to read verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he says to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? It says in that opening statement that the serpent that we come to know is the devil. He's Satan. He's the hitman. He's the crafty one. He's the one who is intent on deceit. He is the deceiver. He's the shapeshifter. He's the one that wants to come and destroy you. He doesn't care for you. He doesn't care anything about you. But he is going to try and be your friend in order to destroy who you are. And do you notice what he does right there? This crafty, this crafty hitman, whom you need to be aware of, he comes and he says, he says, he introduces this idea, uh, this this question, this negative question in the woman's mind. Did God really say that? Did God really say that? And what we look back on, if you look in chapter 2, verse 16, we recognize what it is that God has actually said. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And in verse 17, he says, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. You see, Satan, he is crafty and he's deceitful and he twists it ever so much, doesn't he? He takes it about a quarter turn, because what we see in verse 16 from the mouth of the Lord is that God was more interested on the freedom side, whereas Satan, when he talks to Eve, is more interested in captivity, where God is willing to give liberty, Satan paints it as a picture of limitation. And so we begin to understand who this hitman is. And the rest of Scripture really begins to fill out the picture of the hitman who wants to destroy you. Paul talks not about his craftiness, but about his schemes. I made a list of how some of the ways that, that Satan has talked about in Scripture. Paul talks about him as the God of this world, the prince of power of the air. Jesus calls him the ruler of the world. John says of him, the whole world lies in the power of this evil one. Peter says that he's a roaming lion, roaming around, waiting to see whom he will devour. 
There's a hitman. And he has you in his crosshairs. There's a deceiver, one who is crafty in his task, and he wants to deceive you and destroy you. In fact, if we're talking about marriages and key relationships, he has a poster of your marriage up on his wall, and he is throwing darts at it. So I want you to be aware that there is a hitman, and he is real. I also want you to know that not only is this hitman real, but you need to be aware of his argument. You need to be aware of the lie that promises something more. You need to be aware of the promise that says you're missing out. You need to be aware of the promise that suggests that there's something better and more and and you're going to be happier and there's going to be something more real, that there's an assurance outside of what you already have. There's a big warning sign. Yes, the hitman is real. And there's a warning sign that says you better be aware of what he's preaching. Look with me, would you, in chapter 3. Uh, look now at verse 4. Look now at verse 4. This conversation between the, the serpent, Satan, the hitman, and the woman continues. In verse 4, you will not certainly die, he says. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Uh, do you begin to see that little promise? Uh, he sets it in the back of her mind. He, he takes the position of God. He says, surely, surely God knows. Uh, Satan sets himself up to be like God. Uh, he says, I know what God knows. And, and then he paints a picture uh, that says, you know what? God is really afraid of you. He begins to set up this picture that says there's something more out there that God doesn't want you to have. As if somehow God is jealous or envious of you, the human being. Oh, God knows that if you had this, you'd be like Him. Do you hear it? It's the lie. It's the promise. Oh, you need something more. There's something better out there. And what Satan is so good at is he's so willing to lie to you and deceive you and say, you know what? In that relationship, in that marriage, in that place where you are in your life, there is something better out there for you. And he uses that fear that we have that surely there's something better out there for us. Surely there's something more out there for us. Surely Surely we would be happier with someone else, and he uses that fear so that we will make different kinds of choices, so that we will be divided. Beware of the fear of the choice and the promise and the assurance that somewhere else there's roses, that somewhere else you'd be more happy, that somewhere else you'd be better off. 
The warning sign is clear. You have to understand who it is that the hitman is and the promises that he comes bringing. You see, Satan is real. He is ruthless and he is relentless. He is the deceiver. He wants to destroy and he wants to divide. And if you begin to drink up the promise that says, I would be better somewhere else, your marriage and your relationships and those things that are significant to you are in really big trouble. So you need to be aware. Satan is trying to tell you, oh, there's someone else better for you. You'd be better and happier somewhere else. I wish I could go and the means at which he does it are pretty, pretty normal. All temptation is common to man. If you look in verse 6, you, you recognize the kind of temptation that he's bringing to the woman. Uh, it says, verse 6, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. The same temptations that have always been there were there, right there at the beginning. And he tempts her and he says, hey, hey, you can be like God. And she looks and she likes what she looks at and she knows that it's going to gain her something and so she takes it. Uh, you might have heard it like this, it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. I want something, I want some more, uh, another object that I can have because I don't have it. I want to feel better and so I'm going to go and pick it. I want to feel more important and so I go after it. Can I tell you that the hitman doesn't care for you? He wants to destroy you and divide you, and he is relentless in doing it. And so he wants to sell you this lie of something better and something more. I, I wrote down a whole list of lies in marriage. Uh, maybe, uh, maybe you are susceptible to one of these. Lie number one, my marriage will complete me. Gang, if you are in your marriage thinking that somehow that your spouse is supposed to complete you, you have, well, you're mistaken. You have bought into the lie. You see, your spouse was never meant to complete you. It's not one of these 50-50 games. You know what you call 50-50 in marriage? Divorce. Your husband, your wife, was never supposed to complete you. The only one who can complete you is the one who died for you. And that wasn't your spouse. That was Jesus. So don't believe the lie that your spouse is there to complete you. Nor you for them. You are not Jesus to your spouse. And so if you come into the, your marriage or you're expecting right now in your marriage for your spouse to complete everything and to fulfill you, then you're looking in the wrong place. That's a lie. Beware. Lie number two. My happiness is my number one priority. 
Gang, your, your happiness is not your number one priority. We all love to be happy, you know, live long and prosper. Everybody needs to be happy. We're, we're trying to tell ourselves. But when you come on your wedding day and you stand before God and other people and you say, I do, it's about a covenant. It's not about convenience. Ask anybody who's been married longer than two weeks and they'll tell you it's not about convenience. It is about a covenant. You choose every single day when you get up. And you know what? There might be some moments that aren't happy. But you come to it and you say, you know what? I remember on that day that I told you that I would love you. And love isn't a feeling. No, love is a choice. And so we come and we say, uh, under covenant relationship, uh, we say, like we have said to God, I am willing to obey. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to sacrifice because of our reverence for Christ. That's what a covenant is. My happiness is no longer my number one priority. You are. After Jesus, of course. Line number three. Only one person. There's only one person that I can marry. Gang, that's a lie. You could have married any number of people. But you chose the person that you're with. Or you will choose the person that eventually you will marry. Here's why that's a dangerous lie. If we buy into this idea that there's only the one right man, there's only the one right woman for me, Mr. Right and Mrs. Right, if we buy into that lie of what eventually we will end up doing when, when everything is hitting the fan, when we're going through hard times in our marriage, you know what we're going to begin to say? Guess you weren't the right one. I guess the right one is out there somewhere. And we begin to buy into the lie that there's something better and something more and I'm ready to go because I guess you're not the one for me. Line number four. What I do on my own time is my own business. I'm just going to leave that one sit with you. <laughs> Line number five. A real marriage shouldn't be hard work if I do it right. Really? I really shouldn't have to work hard on my marriage if I do it right? My mother and father-in-law are here to, this morning, and I'm, I'm happy that they're here. They've been married like 100 years. And even in the conversation we've had since they've been here uh, Thursday or Friday, whenever they got here... Uh, <laughs> I've heard my father-in-law say, no, it's hard. you got to work at it. They've been married a long time, like almost forever. And it means that it's going to be hard work. you got to work at your relationship. If you're hands-off in your marriage relationship, then you bought into the lie. 
No, marriage is hard work, and you better be working on it. You better try and figure out how is it that we need to come together under God and begin to have the real kind of conversation that real marriages begin to have, where we dive into stuff that's uncomfortable, that's tenacious sometimes, so that we can plow through and really figure out what love is. Line number six. My past has no issue in my present marriage. You remember that game show? I don't remember the name of it, but they would go around, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies. Anybody remember this? That's a whammy. If you believe that, it's a lie. Your past has everything to do with your present relationship with your spouse. And if you haven't appropriately dealt with your past, it will come back into your marriage and it will haunt you. If you haven't dealt with your past, would you please do that? Otherwise, you're going to begin to think, man, there's something better for me somewhere else. Last lie, here it is. You can't choose who you love. The heart just wants what it wants. Gang, we live in a culture where Love is a feeling. I'm hooked on a feeling. You remember that one? You see, love isn't a feeling. It's a choice. It's a verb. You have to choose it every single day. You've got to choose. When you get up in the morning, you hear that alarm, and you've got you to gotta, you gotta get out of bed, and you've got to get the kids ready, and there's 10,000 things. You have to choose to love your spouse. You have to choose to love the people that are most important to you. You have to choose to fight for your relationship. Otherwise, you buy into the lie of the hitman. And the hitman wants to destroy you. And he wants to destroy your relationships. You see, Satan isn't as powerful as God, but he knows when to get you, he knows where to get you, and he knows how to get you. He knows where you are weak. So he knows that maybe there's a promise out there. Maybe you're struggling in that part of your relationship and intimacy. And there's the promise. And you're thinking, oh man, you know what? There's someone out there who would, who would fulfill me in my, in my desires for intimacy. There's someone out there that would make me happier. Maybe it's in money. Uh, Two things that lead oftentimes to divorce, money and sex. Maybe it's with money for you. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, you know what, there's someone out there, there's someone else who would think about money the way I think of money. There's someone else that would share my dreams about what life could become that makes a little more money, that works a little harder. Uh, Maybe it's just appreciation. There's somebody else out there that would appreciate me for me. Maybe it's someone who thinks about parenting the same way you do, and you think, oh man, uh, this person that I'm with, they don't get parenting at all. I know I'm right, but I don't know what they're doing. 
I want someone that's going to love my kids and never get angry with them and, and never show their temper. And uh, I just want someone who's going to, you know, hold me and, and, you know, listen to my feelings and never try and fix me. There's got to be someone else out there. You see, Satan knows where to get you. And he knows when to get you, too. Oh, it's probably not going to be this morning after you've listened to this message about warnings. I mean, it's not as if, uh, you know, Satan's going to show up with a black hat and say, hey, guess what? I'm Satan. You ought to listen to me. It's not like the, uh, the skull and crossbones, uh, the poison symbol, right? It's not like he's going to uh, put that over uh, the prescription bottle of a lie he's trying you to drink in. No, it's probably not going to be today. It's probably going to be at the end of a long week. Have you ever had one of those? And you've been going 100 miles an hour, and it's stressful. And you're tired. And your spouse has done a couple irritating things that you just, you've been telling them for years. Why is it that you leave your clothes on that side of the bed? You know the hamper's right there. Why is it that you never put the dishes in the dishwasher? And it's going to be at the end of one of those kind of long weeks, and he's going to begin to whisper in your ear, you know, she doesn't, just, she doesn't care for you. He doesn't care for you like he should care for you. He's probably being emotionally abusive. It's going to be in one of those times when you just had a fight with your spouse, a disagreement. And you're going to be like, I've had it. I'm done with this. I need a little more appreciation in this house. Does he realize how much I do? Does she realize all the things that I do around here? Yeah, I'll give her a list. And it's going to be in that moment that Satan begins to whisper, there's something better. There's something better. Why don't you go and take it? He knows where to get you, he knows when to get you, and he knows how to get you. It might be the voice of a friend who comes in, and you begin to just spout, oh, my, my spouse doesn't love me, uh, this, this person, they constantly do this. And your girlfriend, your, 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 your bro, well, whoever it is, they're going to begin to go, yeah. That's probably right. Get rid of them. Go find something else. It's going to be your family member who's tired of watching you maybe go through an emotional roller coaster of trying to make your marriage work. And they're going to say, Yeah, you know what? It's just time. Ditch them. It's done. It might be someone at work that you trust. Gang, there's a hitman, and he's real. And not only do you need to know that he's real, but you need to know what he comes preaching. And he's preaching a lie that if you had someone else, and you had some other situation, and you just had a better person, that you would be happy. 
but it's a lie. And I want you to know that the reason we're doing this, the reason that I'm warning you, the reason that I want to tell you about the hitman, the reason that I'm telling you that there's someone out there who wants to destroy, divide your relationships, that wants to separate you, is because the cost of believing the lie is always higher than you thought it would be. The price you have to pay is far greater than you thought it ever would be. You see, Satan comes and he promises Eve that all of this is going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. There's so much more out there. It's going to be so much better. But it never is. Look at verse 7, would you? Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed the fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They are experiencing something that they've never experienced before. They believed the lie that something better and something more was going to happen. And the result of it was far greater than they could ever have imagined. They have now been divided from God. And their relationship is in turmoil. I mean, if you take this and you read further down in this chapter, there's a curse that follows this. And it, it, the, the result of something that they thought was going to be better ends up being something far worse. They believed the lie and it cost them more than they could have ever imagined. They experienced shame. And shame is bigger than guilt. You see, guilt is, I've done something wrong. Shame is, I am something wrong. And when you experience shame, oftentimes the result is exactly what it is in the pages of Genesis. When they felt shame, when there was a divide, when it ended up costing them way more than they ever imagined, they tried to hide from God. Look at verse 8 and then at verse 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. In verse 10, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Have you ever hid anything from your spouse? Is there a piece of truth in your past that you haven't been completely honest with your spouse about that's affecting your current relationship with them? Have you ever uh, hidden something from them? You know uh, that it's not just a piece of guilt, but it's a piece of shame. You're ashamed of who you are in, in those moments. Maybe, maybe it's because uh, you're hiding something on your cell phone. Maybe it's you're hiding something in your viewing history on your computer. Maybe you're hiding exactly where you were and what you were doing. But oftentimes, what happens when we begin to experience shame is instead of coming back to God, we try and hide from Him. And the same thing is true of our relationships. When there is that divide, when something's going wrong, instead of trying to face up, we shrink back. And so, instead of trying to, to tell the truth, we try and hide away. And do you recognize what happens with both the man and the woman? 
I mean, it's this enormous contrast. Uh, Look at verse 12. There's no truth seeking here. I'm going to pass the blame to someone else. Look at verse 12. The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Now this is a contrast, isn't it? At the end of chapter 2, you notice if you read through uh, Genesis 1 and then into Genesis 2, everything is good. It's good. It's good. Everything is good. Uh, All that God had created was good. It was good. And then all of a sudden, this this great pattern of goodness is broken uh, because uh, there was no suitable helper for Adam. Right? You remember this? And it was the first time God says uh, through Scripture, He says, and it wasn't good. And if you can imagine Adam with kind of a sad emoji on his face, he's like, no, it's not good. It's not good. And so what does God do? He goes, I'm going to fashion a helper. So he puts Adam like in a deep sleep and he takes his rib and he forms a woman out of it. And now, if you look right in between uh, in chapter 2, right before Uh, Verse 23, uh, verse 22 says, The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And right there, maybe in some ancient, very ancient uh, manuscripts, the Hebrew word, uh, when God brought the woman to the man, he says, Wow. He says, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she is taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to wife. He, she was taken out of him, and he will enter into her, and the two will become one flesh. And it was fantastic. It was good again. And, and, and you have to catch this. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. There was no shame there. Everything was grand. It was the wedding ceremony. Everything was going really well. They said their I do's and they're all dressed up and all their friends are around and everyone is celebrating. And now all of a sudden, what does he say? This woman that you put here with me. Because there was a lie that was believed. And not only does he blame the woman, he is blaming God. You gave her to me. And the woman, she's deceived herself. She says, the serpent deceived me. Gang, this morning, I want to put before you a warning that I want you to know about, that I want you to be aware of, because knowing is half the battle. Do you notice in verse 9 and 11 that God gives questions that he already knows the answers to? Look at verse 9. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? In verse 11, he says, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God knows. He already is aware. He's not caught by surprise. 
He asks the question because he wants Adam and Eve to see who they are. He wants them to come to some recognition of the lie that they had believed. And so this morning, what is it that you need to do? What is the mirror that God is placing in front of you and in your relationship, in your marriage? Is He trying to tell you the kind of person that you need to be? Is He trying to confront you with something so that you will make a different choice in your marriage relationship? There's a couple of things that I think you can do. You can write these down if you wish. A couple of things that you can take from here. Number one, I think you need to be self-aware. Self-awareness is why God asks the questions. He asks the questions so that uh, they can begin to understand their own sinfulness. That they have been deceived. And that God's the one that can fix it. Do you need self-awareness? Do you need to come and be honest with yourself? So that you can continue on and not believe a lie? Number two, will you repent? Will you begin to say, you know what, I haven't been the spouse. I haven't been the person that I know I need to be. God, I'm turning around. I want to be obedient to you. I surrender to you in this relationship. I have believed the lie that there's something better out there for me. Uh, Would you help me in understanding that I need to come to you? I was watching a a marriage series, listening to a marriage series uh, recently. Actually, it was done uh, at our school. And I picked up this line, and I really appreciate it. I'll share it with you. If you want a great marriage, you have to become a great person first. You have to become a great person first. This isn't about your spouse changing. This is about you changing. And you changing begins when you're self-aware and self-awareness leads to repentance. And you can say, I've been deceived. I need you. And lastly, I think you have to have accountability. You have to have accountability. If you're here and your marriage is in trouble... Would you find someone, probably someone who's not related to you, that's been married a long time, uh, that would be willing to be transparent and honest and open with you about all things in their marriage uh, so that you can be held accountable? So that someone in your life can speak truth to you and say, you know what, you're believing a lie that's not true. Church, there's a hitman. And he wants to destroy you. But I want you to beware. Beware of the lie. Because knowing is half the battle.